This is JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with Joseph Hollins, the former State Apprenticeship Director in Louisiana. We will talk to State Apprenticeship Directors from around the country to help you learn how to work with their agencies to start registered apprenticeship in your community. Today we're going to Minnesota and we really have a treat because we have two great apprenticeship-minded folks with us today. We're joined by the Apprenticeship Director, John Aiken, and the Apprenticeship Supervisor, Rick Martagon. John, Rick, how are y'all today? Doing well. Thanks for including us on this uh, podcast. Thank you for joining, Rick. How are you? Doing very nice. Thank you. Uh, uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about registered apprenticeship. Right. John and Rick, can, can you all tell me about reg- the registered apprenticeship system in Minnesota? What agency is the registered the office of apprenticeship housed in but also what is the structure of you all staff you know every staff traditionally has a apprenticeship trainer representative on the staff but recently there's been new positions created in apprenticeship so can you tell me what agency you're in and a little bit about that staff structure sure joseph so welcome to your listeners So in Minnesota, I'm the Director of Labor Standards and Apprenticeship, and we're housed within the Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry. And within that division, I'm responsible for overseeing labor standards uh, enforcement of state uh, wage and hour laws, uh, state prevailing wage, and also this wonderful thing called registered apprenticeship. Today, we're nearly 12,000 registered apprentices strong, um, training in uh, over uh, or nearly 200 programs. And um, uh, within that program, we have a state uh, apprenticeship uh, administrator and who supervises the unit, and that's Rick Margon, who's joined us here on this uh, on this cast. And then we also have uh, some administrative support staff, as well as some field representatives. You had talked about in your question uh, whether or not we have new types of positions within the apprenticeship unit itself. And what I can say is that we've been very fortunate to have received uh, federal funding um, uh, to uh, build capacity of registered apprenticeship in Minnesota. And so we do have a project manager who is a part of our projects and planning uh, team within the department who supports our unit. But when we're talking about the uh, the, the breadth and scope of what a uh, Field representatives do apprenticeship field reps. Their role is uh, is uh, expanding, and so we're doing lots of very interesting things uh, to build capacity and support uh, the registered apprenticeship system in Minnesota. With that expanded capacity and that expanded staff through uh, that's been made available through grant opportunities, what are some recent highlights of registered apprenticeship in your state? Maybe new industries or new partners or growth. Sure. So just so um, your listeners are aware, here in Minnesota, which is probably similar in other states, um, registered apprenticeship looms large in the building and construction trades area. So uh, in construction, we're nearly 85 to 90 percent registered apprentices of all apprentices. And so in recognition of that and building support for 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 that sector, we're also uh, we're also working to expand in sectors like agriculture advanced manufacturing, healthcare, and IT, and transportation, to name a few. 
And so we were fortunate enough to receive some federal funding uh, nearly five years ago uh, from the U.S. Department of Labor uh, to work on that expansion. We have uh, two, uh, two folks on staff, uh, Laron and Leslie, who provide the full complement of apprenticeship uh, to training rep services, but they specialize in developing new programs with new employers in these industries that registered apprenticeship just does not uh, exist in, in large F. So, so they have been working uh, diligently and throughout uh, throughout that time in building uh, quite a few registered apprentices. I think uh, registered apprenticeships, excuse me. I think we have created more than 50 programs in those particular sectors that I was speaking to um, and um, some rather unique models. So um, that's a, uh, uh, that's what that's what they're focusing on, and then of course the other the other field reps who are in our rank uh, continue to provide the high level of technical support uh, to those programs to ensure their success. What would you or Rick say is the main thing that makes your state Minnesota stand out from other SAA states or OA states? What's what's unique to Minnesota? I think, Joseph, I mean, it's a good question. I think how I'd like to respond to that is I think every state has its unique situations. Um, uh, all I can do is speak for Minnesota in terms of we have decided to provide that high level of customer service and touch that helps a employer just not experienced in registered apprenticeship to help them build that model so that they can they can not only benefit from the model, but understand where the benefit is coming from. And so we spend a lot of time with, uh, with employers answering questions, providing templates, uh, helping to kind of craft the document that will become that high quality standard that's going to govern that registered apprenticeship that's going to provide that benefit to apprentices. Rick, do you have anything to add on that one? What do you think makes Minnesota stand out? I don't think, I don't know if we're unique in this, but it's something that I think we're all really proud of here at, at the Department of Labor and Industry uh, for Apprenticeship here is, is the the role of meaningful connector. By that, I mean that we um, have really put a lot of effort into connecting stakeholders around Minnesota to one another so that they uh, can maximize their their own uh, organizations, meaning connecting the high schools to uh, programs, uh, registered apprenticeship programs, our community-based educa- uh, institutions to programs, our community-based organizations to registered apprenticeship programs and high schools. So really tying the whole system together so that everybody gets to know one another and, and Everybody has unique services that they can offer to to each other, and I think it, it really worked out very well for us in creating some very strong relationships that weren't there in the past, and we continue to do that weekly, monthly, and yearly. And one of the big things that we've, we've really had a lot of fun with is our networking events where we invite educators, community-based organizations, state and local government uh, entities, and uh, just put everybody in the same room with registered apprenticeship programs to learn about one another. Uh, we do it in a speed dating format where everybody gets to talk about uh, their program for five minutes and 
exchange contact information. And it's really been a lot of fun, and it's really proven to be a very successful strategy to time uh, introducing people to one another. So that's something that's been really fun, and it's been a good uh, best practice. So. If I can add to that, Joseph, I think uh, Rick brings up some really great points. And uh, they're centered on value of partnerships and value of communication. And to those particular points, Rick's already talked about some of the uh, some of the strategies of which we've employed to really bring partners together to be that meaningful connector. That's very important for uh, support of a registered apprenticeship system, whether it's experienced or whether it's new. Uh, but also on the communication side of helping to message what the registered apprenticeship model is all about. We've spent a lot of time and focus on developing a communications and marketing plan to introduce registered apprenticeship to not only you know employers, but introducing it uh, to would-be uh, apprentices, folks that are looking for an opportunity uh, to build a career with a with a, a life-sustaining um, wage. But also, then, it is make, being a meaningful connector and communicating with people who influence the lives of would-be apprentices. It be parents, family members, school counselors, and educators. And so we're working on those efforts to build those partnerships and those connections so that we can get the information to the people who need it, who are making decisions about their work plan, whether it's an employer or their life plan, like an apprentice. That does sound like something that is pretty unique to Minnesota relative to some other states. And so, John, you originally you talked about how a large percentage of your apprenticeship programs are in the construction trades. And we know traditionally in registered apprenticeship, construction trades have been dominant. And it's really only two types of construction trade programs, either your union or non-union, or as we call it, joint or non-joint, right? But recently, there has been innovative innovation in apprenticeship, and you have uh, training providers that seek to be sponsors, you have intermediaries that seek to be sponsors, you have nonprofits that seek to be sponsors, you have all these different entities and organizations that are now seeking to be program sponsors. So in Minnesota, where does an organization start if they're seeking to start a registered apprenticeship program? And does their starting point look different based on the kind of organization they are? So a uh, lot to unpack there, but let me see if I can uh, get to some of the points because uh, they're a good question. So here in Minnesota, what I never want to lose sight of and what we do not lose sight of is that employee-employer relationship. That is central because one of the one of the uniquenesses of apprenticeship and one of its uh, benefits is that earn and learn model. You are producing on day one as a as an employee of that employer, and for that work and for that attention and that discipline, you are earning wages as you achieve the competencies in which you're working to build those skills. With that in mind, there's lots of resources out there whether it be in the community college world, whether it be in online uh, related technical instruction resources. What we try to do is remain focused on that employer-employee relationship and, and find resources to connect employers 
with the right kind of related uh, technical instruction they need to be successful because part of the feedback that we receive um, from our registered apprentice, uh, registered apprenticeships that are new is that they, they didn't necessarily know how much control they actually had. And I think that, uh, that has been a benefit to them to know that they can customize and build a program that still meets the high quality standards of uh, registered apprenticeship, but they have a hand in crafting it and building it into the part of their employment uh, and their business structure. I think that's, that's one of the lessons that we've learned branching out into these other industries. And I don't know if Rick wanted to uh, share some of his thoughts about that as well. Uh, well, one of the things that programs or, or people who are interested in, in pursuing registered apprenticeship programs, it, it typically starts off with an email or uh, to, our, to our general email uh, address asking asking about it, or it could start off with a phone call. At which point, one of our senior field reps will respond and begin a process where the senior field rep really brings that employer through the steps that it takes to to do that to find out what their interest is, to find out what occupations they're interested uh, interested in apprenticing, and then go through the formality of of looking for uh, related technical instruction sources and resources and bringing them through the development of their standards. It's really a very hands-on process, and it's one in which we really value our senior field reps to deliver just uh, a very strong customer service and, and make it very easy administratively for anyone interested in, in pursuing registered apprenticeship. And that's one of the things I think we do really well. As someone you you talked about the senior field reps a little bit, Rick. And so uh, we know that there's the standards document and that's kind of that first step to designing and developing your program. And so who works with a potential program to design their program, the, the standards template, the work process, that RTI schedule, who works with the programs to uh, design a registered apprenticeship program? Rick, do you want to take that one? Sure. Primarily, John mentioned it earlier, we have senior field representatives, uh, Lorraine Latimer and Leslie Philman, and they are our primary program developers. Uh, they're tasked with with uh, bringing an organization, an employer, through the process from start to finish. And although we have four other re uh, senior field representatives who, who do similar, uh, who will do that work as well, but we're on Leslie. Really, that is the that is their main focus, main mission you know, within our within our unit. What I can add to that, Joseph, is that this experience that we um, have with employers is not come to us and fill out a form. Um, this is an interaction of finding out what their values, what they're trying to achieve, what they're thinking about in terms of what they're trying to develop. Whom are they trying to develop? Is this going to be a registered apprenticeship strategy of upskilling people who are already existing employees? Or is this going to be something where they're going to be bringing in new employees, a way to, to you know, attract new talent? And so having those important conversations are important in how we structure the program as well as how we provide the support 
uh, and successful services of helping be a supporting connector uh, to their program. And so by dissecting some of these things that are in these standards, by talking about what's your approach related to wages, what's your approach related to, um, are you looking to do related instruction internally? Are you looking to do it externally? Are you thinking about bringing in a vendor to do it? All these things are important questions that I think add the value of, uh, of not making it overwhelming. Uh, and making it straightforward and showing why it's valuable. And uh, through that intention, I think uh, employers appreciate that time spent in being able to craft something that's, uh, that's incredibly intentional and uh, has their fingerprints on it. It's about them and their work. When you talk about that registration process and, and really catering it towards uh, the particular employee organization. Can you summarize what a registration process looks like in your state, start to finish, and about how long it takes? Sure. So I can have Rick speak to this as well. What I can say is that depending upon what place an employer is in in their process, how much time they want to put into putting this together, we can have a registered apprenticeship program launched in 30 days. But I think some employers want to take a little additional time to make sure that they're, they're, in, they're engaged with their leadership, they're engaged with their HR department, they're engaged with their workers out there that are going to be doing some of the on-the-job mentoring. But they want to make sure that those things are aligned and ready because they want to be successful. In terms of just the, the administration side of it, by working with uh, with our development field reps, they're going through a process of collecting this information and kind of crafting the standard of which they're getting immediate feedback from folks. So you could have a program that takes several months to put together, but really what's dictating the time isn't necessarily the approval process through the department. It's really about making sure that folks that are involved in that apprenticeship program from an administrative side, which includes, you know, the leadership of the company, the, uh, the HR department, as I said, and the, and the workers who will be doing the on-the-job instruction, people want to have that in, in line and in order before they uh, sign on the dotted line. It's important to them. And of course, it's important to us. Most definitely. I think that that is uh, important. And so, can you speak a little bit about how, as the director, have you streamlined this registration process any? Thanks for that question. One of the things that we're always working on is how do we do things um, uh, in a streamlined way uh, that meets the customer's uh, expectations. It's important for us just from a government resource perspective, but it's also important from a customer service perspective. So Rick and team have spent an enormous amount of time um, uh, working with working with uh, uh, potential sponsors and in developing and getting the uh, getting the program uh, not not just signed but also set up the, just the the infrastructure of it and then um, um, and of course in future state we're we're looking at how we are standardizing our processes and learning best practices which will memorialize a new uh, sponsor registration process for field reps in the future. 
we know that we have a tremendous amount of talent working for us right now. And but one of the realities is that not everybody stays with you forever. They move up, retire. So we need to be mindful about how we are memorializing the, the, the great processes that we have uh, for the future when we're gone. That is, I believe, key and important. And so a major component of the registration process in a SAA state is the State Apprenticeship Council. In different states, some councils are regulatory, some councils are advisory. What's the role of your apprenticeship council in Minnesota? Sure. So our apprenticeship board here is a, is a advisory. So what I will say is that they are a tremendous resource of providing feedback and perspective on the strengths and the challenges in registered apprenticeships. And so we meet with them on a quarterly basis and uh, uh, provide them information related to the updates and activities of the department uh, in regards to capacity building and registered apprenticeships. And they've just been meaningful partners that are helping us get this information out to more employers and more workers. Does your council give feedback on the standards, any any of the standards that you all, when you all seek to have a new program, do they give any feedback on the standards? I think to answer that, our, our uh, uh, apprenticeship advisory board is interested in ensuring safety of apprentices, remembering that the registration process is ensuring that that apprentice is getting his or her uh, 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 program and, and success in that program as stated in the standards. And part of those standards are not just um, you're going to work for this company. But there are there's instruction there's instruction there's um, there's a, a ratio of uh, supervision which is important in transferring the knowledge in an effective way that not only ensures that it's a, a effective knowledge transfer but also it's done safely uh, in some of the industries in which we are developing registered apprentices um, uh, there there are safety considerations and real ones and um, and so, um, so, so that's important. And I think our board has been very helpful in providing perspective uh, when asked uh, by the department for, uh, for guidance and feedback. And uh, we will continue to look for that. We have a very, very um, uh, invested apprenticeship advisory uh, board membership. And so, Rick, I'm going to go to you first here on this next question. Um, you, you talked a, a little bit about your staff that helps the programs uh, register and helps the programs with their standards. And so what part of the registration process do you think most frequently uh, trips new programs up or impedes uh, new programs in their registration process? And and how can uh, those programs plan to overcome those hurdles? Well, one of the things that I really am proud of is the the level of service that that our reps give. When we, when I came to the department a little over five years ago, we had uh, a very established team, and uh, we've added new people to the team. And through that, through through the five years, we've really taken a a, a look to uh, enhance and improve and, and continue the good work. And one of the things that that we do that I'm I'm especially proud of is that we take the administrative uh, work out of the, for the most part, out of the hands of the employer. And we we do that within our 
within our parish of Minnesota. So uh, what our our developers are very good at asking the questions because we have that experience of developing other programs so we know what information we're looking for we know what information uh, what information needs uh, to be uh, produced to to really help the process move along and, and to stop uh, get ahead of some of those things that might trip a program up so we do a very good job of, of getting the right information as we go through this process. I don't know that I would say that uh, uh, there are barriers that we don't overcome that would trip a program off or stop it from happening. I think the, the what may occur is that an employer may decide that this might not be the right time for them to engage in the registered apprenticeship model or they want to slow things down a little bit. But I think we do a really good job of, of taking that administrative piece out of uh, the hands of the, the potential employers. And that, that makes it easier. We want to be very customer service friendly and make it a very pleasurable experience to go through this registration process. And that's what we try to do. And we continue to do that uh, through the life of the apprenticeship as well to make sure that once they do register a program, we want them to, our work isn't done. We want them to be successful. We want their apprentices to have a good experience and you know, the whole idea is to help the businesses in Minnesota have successful workforce development strategy. Or just sort of apprenticeship is, is one that they can engage and want to be happy about, uh, about registering. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting, Joseph, I know it wasn't the question to ask, but I think it is telling, you know, to that support that's been provided to make sure there is success. Now, we do, uh, uh, obviously, economic uh, uh, climate has an impact on whether or not an employer uh, may choose to go with a registered apprenticeship long-term uh, because of uncertainty. Um, but we got a great team that's providing value-added services. And I think from that, one of the lessons we've learned is that our greatest ambassadors of apprenticeship aren't Rick and I. They're the employers that have adopted this model and are using it with great success. And we have found by leveraging great things like Apprenticeship Week in in Minnesota, or a National Apprenticeship Week in alignment with, uh, with the USDOL, um, they are some of our biggest draws. People want to hear from them. How did this work for you? How did you see it through? Uh, what's the secret of the sauce? And uh, and so we're great mythbusters. We're trying to communicate every day, and the, one of the best ways that we can do that is putting our apprenticeship sponsors front and center to tell about their experience with the department. It sounds like you all make all accommodations to ensure that programs don't get tripped up in that registration process or it's nothing that impedes them from registering if they want to register, which is great. So shifting gears a little bit here, uh, John and Rick, traditionally there has always been pre-apprenticeship in the building and construction trades, but recently in the apprenticeship system, there has been a big focus on youth apprenticeship and having programs that are catered towards youth. So in Minnesota, do you all have uh, more youth apprenticeship or pre-apprenticeship or a combination of both? What does youth apprenticeship or pre-apprenticeship look like in Minnesota? Sure. Thanks for the question. 
So here in Minnesota, we're a, we're a bit unique. Um, we have Youth Apprenticeship, which is over at the Minnesota Department of Education, and they're working on developing experiences uh, for youth. Um, uh, there isn't a regulatory pre-apprenticeship in Minnesota. However, in that absence, one of the things that Rick and I have been working on with the, with the unit is supporting registered apprenticeship construction programs in developing pathways into the registered apprenticeship programs that they administer. And so how have we done that? We've, uh, we have our APEX initiative, which is partially funded by the U.S. Uh, Department of Labor. And we've spent, uh, we've spent time, resources, and focus in developing the partnership with the programs that know how to really do the training. Um, they provide the learning. They do it well in their training centers. And we want to support that. In addition to that, Rick talked about this earlier on where, um, you know, what do they do best? They, they do training and, and uh, uh, instruction best. But getting those meaningful connectors involved uh, uh, can, have, uh, can have a profound uh, impact on the success of the program. And so one of the things that that we asked for was that they have community-based organization partners who are helping to identify and connect people of color, women, veterans, into these programs uh, to give them an opportunity uh, to try out that particular uh, trade. Uh, some folks just, they don't have any experience with it. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be successful at it. It just means that somebody's got to uh, show them. And we've found uh, that through th- these experiences in, the, in funding construction career readiness programs, um, we are uh, we are able to drive our our uh, our goal of greater diversity uh, into registered apprenticeship, and all the success goes to the registered apprenticeship programs who are partnering with us, but doing the great work of providing the instruction, and from that instruction. They're finding some really good candidates and really good candidates for registered apprenticeship. And they, and they send them straight through onto registering them and they're off to a great career path in registered apprenticeship. So in any of these kind of pathway strategies, have you all worked to register programs that are specifically intended for individuals in high schools? And, and if so, have you worked with any school districts around that? I think uh, to answer that question, I want to back up a little bit. So there is a recognition of there, there are many paths to success. And we think one of those paths is registered apprenticeship. So there are different ways in which to, um, uh, to convey uh, registered apprenticeship. One of those is uh, by supporting uh, career exploration activities in Minnesota. And so we've been working with the, uh, the carpenters of, uh, as, a, as, a, as a great example, the finishing trades. And, and they're, they're engaging with youth in high schools and bringing them into the training center. We're in, uh, we've supported bus tours of getting educators and school counselors, uh, uh, getting uh, youth to come and see what's going on in those training centers. Just looking at the outer walls doesn't tell a story. You've got to be inside. You've got to see what's going on. And they see apprentices that look like them, are like them, 
And I think that inspires them to think about it as a career path for them that's viable. And uh, there's this great program that uh, I'm going to have Rick talk about, but it's in line with the uh, with the exploration, and that's called Construct Tomorrow. And let me have Rick talk to you about the genesis of that and the reason for that and its success here in Minnesota. Well, thanks, John. Construct Tomorrow uh, is is uh, is something that was conceived in 2013. Uh, I wasn't with the department at that time, and I was with the uh, Apprenticeship Coordinators Association of Minnesota, uh, representing as a as a apprenticeship director for the Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. And one of the things that the Apprenticeship Coordinators Association of Minnesota did was provide tours to students, high school students, and the training centers, and make those arrangements. Uh, go out to career fairs, high school career fairs, community career fairs. And one of the things that we we thought of at that time was to really bring that on the road and only have uh, a, a apprenticeship programs uh, in, in, in that type of setting to really have let students focus on that. But the key was, it was that it was a hands-on activity. And it was a, a partnership between the employers, the apprenticeship programs, and the educators uh, who are there. And that's one thing that the department, we've been able to help support. Uh, in 2013, they, they started with 435 participants, uh, high school students that experienced this. And now statewide, uh, through over a number of areas, many areas, uh, they've had upwards of 80,000 students participate in these hands-on activities. So a student can get into a backhoe and a simulator and actually uh, and and operate it. They've had live uh, backhoes on site where students have gotten into, which has been fantastic. The idea is that every trade will bring their trade to the, to the career fair to, and it will be hands-on. But the unique hook here is that they also encourage apprentices to attend because they are closer to the student's age as they have just uh, entered into an apprenticeship. And they encourage uh, female uh, apprentices, apprentices of color, and veterans to participate as well. So it's a really it's a great opportunity to provide a student a, a quick, hands-on, fun look at a career in a registered apprenticeship in the building construction trade. So uh, it's been highly successful. They went from doing it at schools to now doing it in community centers around around the state, whether it's a Boy Scout camp in Minneapolis or or the uh, XL, XL Center downtown St. Paul or different venues like that. So it's a lot of fun, and you see uh, you see students having a great time there, and you know, it's a, it's a great way to communicate uh, about another type of post-secondary career option. I think you bring up a good point there, Rick. You're kind of discussing how the apprenticeship programs are bringing that hands-on piece to uh, the K-12 system. And so uh, apprenticeship, with registered apprenticeship, there's kind of been a disconnect because it's a Department of Labor program. And it's been a disconnect in between this Department of Labor program and the Department of Education. And so uh, you, you mentioned the hands-on piece, Rick, and 
you know, I'll leave this to either you or John, but has Minnesota done any work to uh, get the registered apprenticeship curriculum uh, accepted by the Department of Education? Or have you all done any work to get the Department of Education CTE curriculum accepted by registered apprenticeship programs? There is uh, an effort by some of the registered apprenticeship programs to have their curriculum uh, approved as a post-secondary education option, a PSEO uh, credits. The finishing trades of the upper Midwest have recently uh, begun providing that curriculum uh, in their in their training center. That's uh, that's new within the last year, so that's a fantastic accomplishment for them. But also the high schools and some of the school districts that's expanding now are starting to use the building construction trades, multi-core craft curriculum, which is a, a curriculum meant to introduce the type of information that a student might need to prepare to go into a registered apprenticeship program in the construction industry. So that is, that's been really a, a, an initiative that's been active for the last couple of years. So I, I see more and more interest in that type of programming and curriculum. Uh, and I think we'll just keep seeing that involved as uh, high schools and the programs start to learn more about one another and, and increasingly do collaborative events. I think that that's great. And so we, we I believe you all touched on a little bit earlier, but do you all have a separate formal registration process for either youth apprenticeships or pre-apprenticeships in Minnesota? So currently, uh, with uh, with registered uh, apprenticeship and um, uh, we have a process with a pre-apprenticeship or a construction career readiness program, we don't necessarily have a registration process. What we have is a partnership with the with the registered apprenticeship programs that are putting on this experience, and so through our support, they are providing us. Um, uh, information related to uh, the particular uh, enrollee, whether or not they've moved on to a registered apprenticeship program, so we can track that for our for our administration grant related purposes, but also to just kind of tell us where these folks are going and how they're doing. And so that's uh, that's on the administrative uh, component. I can't speak to uh, the Department of Education uh, process. And you mentioned a little bit about these uh, connections and, and how your office receives information from the programs about whether the pre-apprentice continued on. And so what do you see as the role of your office as helping to build these pre-apprenticeship connections to connect the pre-apprenticeship training to a registered program? Good question. I think, again, I go back to that idea of us being that meaningful connector. It, it's not a, um, uh, because a registered apprenticeship program may be registered with us, I don't view it as our program. This is a program between the employer, the sponsor, and the, and the apprentice. We're there to make sure that that apprentice is getting delivered uh, the, the, the training and the learning that's promised as part of that standard. That's part of that high quality. That's why that credential means something. Um, and so, um, uh, what I want to say is that when, when we're thinking about our role, we're thinking about how can we best support their efforts of what they do well. 
And if that is construction career readiness, how do we provide maybe financial support? How do we provide technical assistance? How do we connect them uh, with with community-based organizations who might have access to a community that we've been having or they've been having difficulty really connecting with? And so when Rick was talking before, like some of the things and strategies that we've been working on, one of of those was speed networking. And the idea behind speed networking was making introductions, making meaningful but brief introductions that that connect sponsors with community-based organizations of understanding each other. And and the hope is through uh, continued engagement and collaboration they're building lasting relationships and trust that are going to benefit uh, uh, finding folks in the community who are eager and and uh, want to uh, experience a particular trade and uh, and then providing the high quality training and uh, and learning construct for them to do so. I think that that is uh, very important. And so, as you talked about some of those different, maybe non traditional in- individuals that you could. Uh, reach and you you touched briefly on expanding diversity in registered apprenticeship programs earlier. What are some strategies you all have developed to reach out to the opportunity youth, the sixteen to twenty four year olds, and and how what strategies have y'all developed? If you can go a little deeper in touching about those community based organizations or in different employer practices. I think John mentioned the, the speed networking. That's been fantastic. But the idea was for, uh, in some of the strategies that we've been doing, is just to get out and, and meet our community-based partners. So one of the things that this, this the strength of what we do is built upon the staff that we have working uh, for the department right now. Uh, our senior field reps are made up of one senior field rep work for a community-based organization that served one area of, of our community. We have four other uh, rep, senior field reps who also worked in the community-based organization community and in, the, and in the apprenticeship before. So we really have a team that has, has such good connections to the community. We were able then to go out and talk to uh, each each community-based organization say, hey, listen, we really want to help you connect to the apprenticeship programs. My background is is in the apprenticeship program, so our team really is complete in that we have people who can make those connections for people, and that's what we did. Each one of us went and worked within our connections that, that we had uh, amassed over the years of our careers and really brought everybody's connections together. And we did it in a variety of methods, networking, presentations where we bring in community-based organizations to provide apprenticeship 101 education, to bring in high school counselors. Uh, One recent event, we had over 90 Minneapolis career counselors at the Iron Workers Training Center. And we we held a panel of apprenticeship uh, experts up on the panel, uh, people who have been subject matter experts, been in, a, in apprenticeships for you know many many years, and ask questions. And we open that up, and for the the 
positive comments that came afterwards were were fantastic, and the engagement, the interest was there. So we just we did little events here and there, and just every effort was building upon the, the previous effort to make sure that people made those connections to make sure those partnerships were happening. If someone didn't uh, have a connection, we'd, we'd make an introduction for them. Say, I would like to introduce you to this person. They do this. This is what, you know, and we just built those connections together uh, so that now really when we have an event, we have people from every, every, uh, group of stakeholders that will come to an event and participate. We just build upon each one. And the hope is that uh, when the next group, someone who comes to replace me or one of our reps, they'll just keep building on all the good work that we've been doing. And I think uh, we see it in the in the improved numbers that are engagements and the interest and the questions. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and, it, and one final note about that, Joseph, each year the legislature gives us some funding in which uh, we fund the community-based organizations' efforts to connect uh, folks with registered apprenticeships. And so that that partnership and the ability to be able to fund some of that activity is, is so helpful because uh, they're in a position and have a connection in community that can provide those wraparound services, uh, support. Uh, where there may be barriers uh, that exist, they can help provide um, uh, provide some assistance in that regard. And based upon some of our partnerships and our activities, panels, uh, bus tours, et cetera, we're always bringing our community-based partners uh, with us because it's important just as a uh, an apprenticeship community that it takes these different uh, uh, stakeholders to really make it that success. And uh, we've spent a lot of time working on building those relationships and finding different ways in which to leverage uh, those relationships with our uh, with our grants as just one example. Well, it definitely sounds like you all have some good strategies around using community-based organizations to reach opportunity youth. And you mentioned some of those wraparound services a little bit. Uh, that brings up the question of WIOA. Has Minnesota, the apprenticeship division in Minnesota, been able to utilize uh, WIOA dollars for in-school youth or out-of-school youth, either or? Uh, have you all been able to use utilize WIOA dollars for registered apprenticeship participation? I think we're looking to align um, uh, with, uh, with WIOA. Um, one of the things that we've been working on is um, several strategies. First, you know, building capacity within our department to, to be able to provide high-quality services that develop and nurture registered apprenticeships. Uh, registered apprenticeships excuse me. The second thing is, how, how does registered apprenticeship exist in kind of this workforce ecosystem? And so that means that uh, a part of our work is not only just communicating out, but communicating with. And so... We're, uh, we're working on strategies of, uh, of aligning our work with CTE programs. We're looking to align our work with workforce boards who might see opportunities for registered apprenticeships in their particular areas. So that alignment is important. And in, in addition, our sister agency, the Department of Employment and Economic Development, 
um, who we are a partner on with our Minnesota Apprenticeship Initiative, we're looking to leverage their workforce system of sharing information about registered apprenticeships to make sure that we are reaching audiences we haven't been able to reach before. And so that's the work that that continues. I will say that we are we are making strides in in that uh, in, in that world, um, but uh, more to come on that. Uh, we're excited about the work that is coming in regards to uh, aligning with Rio. Uh, sounds great. I think everyone is uh, in registered apprenticeship in the registered apprenticeship system in general is is seeking to how to have more alignment with. Uh, Weoa, and we've definitely heard some different strategies throughout our time doing this podcast. And so, John and Rick, as we talk about Opportunity Youth, I always think of Opportunity Youth in really two categories because it's 16 to 24, but I believe that you have 16 to 19 year olds who uh, they're either right out of high school or kind of somehow still connected to the education system, whether they be in a uh, community college or uh, some kind of training, which those individuals are a little bit easier to reach. And then you have 20, 24-year-olds who are out of high school and they may have gone to the four-year or two-year, but they're not in the four-year education system or the two-year education system anymore. And uh, they're a little bit harder to reach. H- how do you think uh, you reach those 20, 24-year-olds who are disconnected from the workforce system, disconnected from the education system? Uh, do you really rely on your community-based organizations for that? Sure. Uh, so, um, so in order to be able to communicate, you need some tools in which to do it. And so we've spent some time developing our ability to be able to communicate through different channels. Four years ago, we didn't have any social media whatsoever. Now, social media is not a silver bullet, doesn't solve everybody's problems, doesn't, uh, doesn't reach everybody. But that's an important component of being able to reach people where they are. Our website, our website, if you looked it up on a, on a cell phone, uh, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a very friendly website. That's, that's changed. So a lot of change has been made on, on some of the communication channels. In addition to that, again, I go back to this idea of these strong partnerships that we build with community-based partners so that we can reach populations where they are, those that they serve. We want to be able to communicate with them. That's important to us. And trying to connect them with registered apprenticeship programs. So that's what we work on as part of our labor uh, education advancement program. Um, And uh, uh, obviously uh, having them be partners as a part of the construction career readiness program. All of these, we are hoping to make inroads in finding ways to communicate and connect. And I think we've found some success, but more work to, but more work to be done, of course. I definitely agree with that. That seems to be the general consensus among most of the directors that we've talked to is that uh, the first step was really coming into the 21st century websites and social media. And so I'm sure that you all will read reap dividends from uh, that change. And so that, that was actually my last question, John and Rick. And But before we end, I, I just kind of want to turn it over to the both of you all, Rick and John, uh, for anything that you might have that you think is important that 
we might we might have missed that I, I just didn't ask the question about. So I'll turn it over to you, Rick and John. So there are so many interesting and good things going on in Minnesota and the work that Apprenticeship Minnesota at the Department of Labor and Industry is working on. We wouldn't be able to do this without support uh, from leadership. We wouldn't be able to do this without the support of community-based organizations and the registered apprenticeship programs that, of course, we monitor, but also partner. And those partnerships are powerful, but they're so important to the success of building a system uh, that welcomes uh, people of all walks of life to an opportunity to receive a great wage and some uh, skills in demand that nobody can ever take away. And so, um, you know, we talked a little bit about our partnerships. We talked about the importance of communication and what we're, what we're able to do in terms of developing a social media strategy, developing videos, uh, videos that reflect our community and the people we serve. These are all important components of, of showing uh, and demonstrating, if you will, that registered apprenticeship is uh, beneficial to both employers and to workers. Uh, I often say that it's opportunity for all, but responsibility from all. And I think that's really the, that's really what makes registered apprenticeships so successful. Rick, do you have anything to add there? Well, I just want to say thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to talk about registered apprenticeship in Minnesota from, from our leadership through the, through all of our staff. We're very passionate and, and uh, we enjoy providing the education and the opportunity to all of, all of Minnesota. Uh, it's a fun job and we see a lot of fantastic results and we, uh, I just look forward to having more more people learn about registered apprenticeship and engagement. That sounds great, John and Rick, and I definitely appreciate you all's time. And uh, that, I believe, makes another successful podcast. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with me, your host, Joseph Hollins. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to you coming back to hear more of the innovative things that apprenticeship directors from across the country are doing. We're signing off.